You may be seated. You know, we come here this morning celebrating the resurrection. We opened our worship by proclaiming he is risen. We sang Christ the Lord is risen today. The choir has concurred and added to that their alleluias. We have asked in song, were you there when he rose up from the dead? Everything we've done in the service so far, so far assumes that Christ has risen. Of course, it rightly assumes that. But had you been there on that first Easter Sunday, you wouldn't have just had that assumption. I fear that we, we have become too accustomed to the fact that Christ indeed has risen. We miss some of the impact, some of the glory, some of the amazement that must have been experienced by those first people to behold the risen Christ. They were grieving, scared, confused, worried, hiding, unsure of what the future held, for even that day, much less the days to follow. And so against that backdrop, in that mindset, I ask you to follow along. As I read our sermon text, John 20, verses 1 through 18. This is the inspired word of God. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early. While it was still dark, saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple and the one who Jesus loved and, and said to them, they've taken the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple and they were going toward the tomb, both of them running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first and stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloth lying there and the face cloth, which had been on Jesus' head, not lying with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. But Mary, Mary stood weeping outside the tomb. And as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb. And she saw two angels in white, sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? She said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid him. Having said this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing. She did not know that it was Jesus. Jesus said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? Whom are you seeking? 
Supposing him to be the gardener, she said to him, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have laid him, and I will take him away. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned and said to him in Aramaic, Rabboni, which means teacher. Jesus said to her, Do not cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. But go to my brothers and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and to your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord, that he had said these things to her. The grass withers and the flower fades, but the word of our God stands forever. Would you pray with me? Our Lord and our God, our Heavenly Father, it is with great joy that we come before you this morning in the sure knowledge that indeed Christ Jesus has risen from the dead. And because he has risen, just as he said he would, we can trust all of his other promises. We can trust that he has died for our sins. We can trust that his righteousness has become our own. We can trust that he indeed is the door, that he is the way, that he is the truth and the life. And we turn to your word now asking that you would, through the power of your spirit, speak to us. Dive deeply into our hearts, penetrate our very souls, and teach us now. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I studied this passage this week in preparation for this sermon, I I noticed that there are certain words and phrases and groups of words that that seem to be repeated time after time in this passage. And whenever you're studying the Bible, that's a good way to study it, is to look for words that are repeated or ideas that are repeated, because the idea is that, that there's probably something to it that if a a writer keeps saying the same thing over and over again. He's wanting to get your attention with that. He's wanting to point you in that direction. And so as I was thinking about some of the things that are repetitive in here, I noticed that the, the word group of, of go or came or went or ram are, are mentioned 14 times in this passage, including 12 grouped together right at the very beginning. Nine times in this passage we, we see the word tomb mentioned. And so, so it occurred to me that perhaps we're supposed to notice there's, there's something in this passage about going to the tomb and what happens when we go to the tomb. Specifically, I, I noticed three other word groups. The word saw, look, or seen are mentioned nine times in this passage. There are Four times that the words wept or weeping are, are spoken, and they're grouped all together right in the middle of the passage. And then finally, 12 times, including 11 grouped together at the end of the passage, we see the words said, say, or announced. So it seems to me that what we have here is, is that when we go to the tomb, there are certain things we see, there are certain reasons that we weep, There are certain words to be said. 
First of all, looking at the things we see at the tomb. We look at verse 1. And we see that it occurred on the, the first day of the week. And I think that these words are, are freighted with meaning here because, because we, we start off on the first day of the week and in the midst of, of all the sadness, of all the tragedy, of all the terror of the crucifixion, we have a, a glimmer of hope. It's the first day of the week. It's, it's a new beginning. You see, what, whatever happened in the past, we're, we're kind of starting over on the first day of the week. That's why New Year's is such a big celebration, right? Because whatever has happened in the past year, it's a chance for us to turn the calendar, to start over, a new beginning. It's highly artificial, right? It's just one day, then the next day. But in our minds, at least, there is this, this glimmer of hope that with a new beginning, things might be better. So we see this happen on the first day of the week. And yet, the very next phrase, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark. This morning I came to church, it was still dark, and maybe that's all that John is saying, just that it was really early, it was like five in the morning or so, and, and, and that's when she went. Maybe that's all he's saying, but I don't think this is likely because John, throughout his gospel, actually uses the metaphors of light and darkness thoroughly throughout his whole gospel. And he, he uses them to draw pictures to teach truth, and I think he's certainly doing it here, just as he did going all the way back to John 1. As talking about Jesus, he says, in him was life, and the life was the light of men. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Or we consider later on an example from uh, that first Maundy Thursday in John 13, where, where Jesus has just instituted the sacrament of the Lord's Supper, and, and then Judas goes out to betray him. We read in verse 30 of chapter 13, So after receiving the morsel of bread, Judas immediately went out, and it was night. I don't think John's just saying, you know, well, it's past, past 6 o'clock now. No, it was night. It was a dark moment. Judas going out to betray the, the Holy One of Israel, the one against whom Nobody should have any arguments. Nobody should have any problems. Nobody should have any accusations. But Judas would betray him. It was night and a dark night for the soul. Well, here we are on the first day of the week, a day of new beginnings, and yet it is still dark. Certainly so in Mary's eyes. We consider her perspective. I think that this passage well, like every passage of Scripture, is ultimately about Jesus. But I think we're supposed to understand this passage, especially from Mary's perspective, the interaction between Mary and Jesus. Although Peter and John certainly come in, I think that John is telling it in such a way as to highlight Mary and for us to put ourselves in her shoes and we consider how dark it was for her 
In verse 2, she says, we do not know where they have laid him. In verse 13, she says, I do not know where they have laid him. In verse 14, it says, she did not know that it was Jesus. There's a lot that she is not knowing. She is in the dark. Even though she's in the dark, though, she's able to make out just enough to notice on this first day of the week that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. Now we don't know, the, it doesn't say if she kind of looked a little more carefully to see what was going on or if she just saw it was gone and took off. We, 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 we don't know all the details of it, but suffice to say she ran and went to Simon and the other disciple who we know is John and, and she told them that they've taken the Lord from the tomb that you know, don't know where they've laid him. And so Peter goes with her and and then John also, and, and we read that they ran to the tomb. And, and what did they see when they got there? They saw the tomb was empty. And this is vitally important, brothers and sisters. This is vitally important. The tomb was empty. It's, it's in my mind, the, the most dominant, the strongest apologetic for the fact that Jesus is who he said he is. Jesus is the Son of God. He is the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. He is God himself. And we can tell because the tomb was empty. Now perhaps you're coming here today and you're not a believer. You're a little bit of a skeptic. And you say, oh, no, it says the tomb was empty. But, but I'm not sure that really is what happened. I'm not really sure he rose from the dead. That seems a little bit, a little bit, extreme. I mean, people don't just rise from the dead, Pete. Indeed, they don't. And that's why Jesus was different. You see, if he hadn't risen from the dead, we have to explain why the body no longer was in the tomb. Some people might argue, well, maybe, maybe grave thieves came by. There, there's grave robbers all, all the time, but, but that doesn't make much sense when we consider that, that grave robbers would have had to first overpower the armed guard who was placed there on penalty of death if something happens. And then, when they removed Jesus from the grave, they didn't just take him quickly in a hurry. No, they unwrapped the grave clothes and then unwrapped the face cloth and then folded up the face cloth and put it down. If you've ever been robbed, I'm, I'm guessing, you know, if, if, if you've ever had that happen, whether it's a car got broken into or your house got broken into, I, I'm guessing the thieves didn't leave it nicer than they found it. But that seems to be what they've done here. It clearly wasn't the case. Well, perhaps what happened was the authorities did it. They, they wanted to take the body away and do something with it. Well, that really doesn't make any sense either, if we think about it, because... First of all, they had no motive to do it. Why would they do that? Secondly, even if they did have some reason they wanted to do it, when, when this whole Christianity thing began to rise up in the days and weeks and years to follow, they could have easily quashed it if they would have just been able to provide a body. They could have said, no, we have it, it's here. He didn't really rise from the dead. Well, maybe it was the disciples. They, they knew that they had to have this risen Jesus and so they stole the body and hid it so that everybody would believe that he rose from the dead, even though he didn't really. Well, that doesn't make any sense either, first of all, because they didn't even expect him to rise. We see as much here in today's passage. It says that they did not understand yet. 
the scripture that he must rise from the dead in verse 9. Beyond that, there's the fact that they too would have had to overpower the armed guards that were there, the soldiers guarding the tomb. And then beyond that is the fact that, that these disciples were, were fearful, cowering in the upper room, not sure of what to do. They were scared. They were not brave. They were not powerful. And something happened to change them into a group of people who turned the world upside down. What was it that changed that? I maintain is that they had an encounter with the risen Lord. They found him to be alive, who once was dead. And they were all willing then to die for them, and 11 of of them actually did die martyrs' deaths. I don't think they all would have done that knowing that it was a lie. And then finally, there's the fact that it's Mary who comes to the tomb first. Mary is the one who found first that the tomb was empty. Mary was the one who found first the risen Lord. If you were to make up the story, if you were to draw this out, if it were a big big conspiracy, you were trying to fool everybody, Mary would have been the least likely person to find him. She's the worst candidate to be the person who found Jesus because, first of all, she was a woman, and in that culture, a woman's testimony didn't count for anything. A woman wasn't even allowed to to testify in a court of law. Furthermore, Mary wasn't just any woman. She was a woman known to be a, a woman of ill repute. And so her word was not only worth nothing, it was worth less than nothing. If you were going to try to spread this story about this supposed risen Jesus If he had not really risen, she would be the last person you would pick if you were making up somebody to spread the word. Jesus Christ has risen. And that is, my friends, the central tenet of our faith. Without it, the hope of eternal life is lost. Paul says as much. Paul, who wrote half the books of the New Testament, says in 1 Corinthians 15, if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile, and you are still in your sins. And if in this life only we have hoped in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. You see, what Paul says is, if Jesus has not actually, bodily, physically risen from the dead then whatever good you gain out of Christianity, it is still worthless. If he has not risen from the dead, you are nothing but a bunch of dolts wandering in the dark, dead in your sins, lost for eternity. If Jesus has not risen from the dead, why not all just eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die? But he has. But he has. So we see here in verse 8 that this other disciple, John, reached the tomb. He, He went in. He looks. He sees. And we're told he believed. Now, I'm not sure what exactly he believed. Some people think that that means that he believed that Jesus was risen from the dead. And perhaps that's what it meant. I find it kind of dubious to believe that, even though that's probably where most of the commentators go with it. Uh, It seems to me that 
that it doesn't make a whole lot of sense that if that's the case, it says the very next thing he did is that he went home. You know, he found out Jesus rose from the dead and went home, left Mary there wandering. Mary still thinks that they've taken the body and it's gone somewhere. He forgot to tell her on the way out or something. I, I don't know. It doesn't make a lot of sense. He's cowering in the upper room later that day, fearful. I would think that if he had found out, if he had realized, if he had known the Lord was risen, he would have wanted to share that truth with everybody. But it really doesn't matter at the end of the day what exactly he believes at this point. If he does believe that, it is certainly in a partial sense and in an incomplete sense. He does not completely have a whole grasp on it. And perhaps you are here today and you kind of understand, you kind of accept it, but you have your doubts and, and you're kind of wrestling with this still. And I just want to encourage you, if, if you do have your doubts that you're wrestling with, that is fine, but do not let the fact that you can't get everything into a nice little box with a nice pretty boat, all neat and tidy, keep you from trusting in Christ Jesus. Just because you can't work out all of the details, don't let that keep you from him. Throw yourself at the feet of the risen Lord and trust in him. Trust in him today. Be like the man in Mark 9 who cried out to Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. It's one of my favorite passages of scripture because that's where I am, really. I, I believe, and yet, every time I sin, I show my unbelief. I believe, and yet there are times when I just can't quite figure things out. And so I cry out to Jesus, I believe. Help my unbelief. Mary was still, certainly, in unbelief here. She stood weeping at the tomb, we read in verse 11. Why is she weeping? Well, she is weeping because Jesus is gone. And if there is any reason to be weeping, it's certainly that. That Jesus is gone. That I don't have Jesus. If you don't have Jesus, you should be weeping. You should be weeping if you don't have Jesus. And yet here's the good news. Joyfully, Jesus has promised to all who are his, they will never need to fear being without him. In John 10, he says, My sheep hear my voice. This is a little bit after the passage we read together earlier. He says, I know them and they follow me. I give them eternal life and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all and no one is able to snatch them from my Father's hand. You know, I was reminded in thinking about this of one of my favorite movies, The Princess Bride. If you've ever seen The Princess Bride, you know it's the story of, of a young farm boy, Wesley, and his true love, Buttercup. And, and Wesley was committed to Buttercup with all of his heart. And, and he had to go out and earn a living and, and make something of himself so he could come back and take Buttercup as his bride. And he went out and Buttercup receives word that Wesley has been killed by the dread pirate Roberts. Well, she goes into mourning for quite a long time. After some years, she ends up consenting to be married. And shortly before the wedding, she and Wesley come back together. They find each other. 
And, and Wesley says to her, I told you I would always come for you. Why didn't you wait for me? She says with somewhat quizzical look on his, her face, well, you were dead. <laughs> and Wesley says these beautiful words, these wonderful words. Death cannot stop true love. All it can do is delay it a while. And I thought about the fact that that is the message of Christ Jesus. Death cannot stop true love. For there is no picture of true love more vibrant, more true, more complete than the picture of Christ Jesus who laid down his life for us. This is true love. And death cannot stop it because Christ Jesus has risen from the dead and he has conquered death. And we are his forever. And yet Mary still doesn't understand this. <laughs> she is weeping. She seems to look into the tomb and she sees angels in white and, and we see here that light begins to break in through the darkness and specifically angels in white, shining. Why are they in white? Why is there light there? Where is this light? It is in the tomb where Jesus had been. There is light wherever Jesus goes. It's much the same as in Acts 4, Peter and John, these same two disciples that we see today. Before the resurrection, they had cowered in fear, but now they're before the council. And we read that when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated, common men, they were astonished. Why? They recognized that they had been with Jesus. There is a residual light for those who have been with Jesus. If you have been with Jesus, you, you shine I remember when I was a kid, we had these little stickers. They were little stickers shaped like stars. And, and you could put them on the ceiling of, of your room. And when you turned out the lights, it, it would look like the stars up above. But the problem was, if you just left it dark all the time, eventually the light would, would kind of fade out of the glow in the dark. But, but you could recharge them, if you will. All you had to do was shine light on them. If you shined light on them and then turned out the light, there was this residual light that lasted them. They glowed with the light that had shined upon them. And that's how we are. If we have been with Jesus, his light should shine in us and through us and out of us. And that's what's happening here. And, and the light that had begun to shine through the angels and the darkness of the tomb begins to burst onto the scene in full effect as Mary turns and sees Jesus. She doesn't recognize him at first. And we don't know if it's because there's something different about his physical appearance or if her eyes are just, just blinded by the tears or if Christ has blinded her eyes so that they might not see. But he asks her why she is weeping. And then more to the point, he says, whom are you seeking? And that's a question for all of us. Whom are we seeking? And I tell you what the answer is, whether you know it or not, you are seeking Christ Jesus. 
You might not know that you are seeking Christ Jesus. You might not believe that you are seeking Christ Jesus. But whatever it is that you want, whatever it is that is your deepest desire, it is Christ Jesus that is the fulfillment of those greatest longings and those greatest hopes and those greatest needs. It is Christ Jesus that you are seeking. And Mary, supposing him to be the gardener, asks where she's taken him. She just wants to find Jesus. She wants to find him. And, and he's right there before her. And she doesn't realize it. And the same is true of you today. Jesus is right before you. He is in front of you. And it's a beautiful, beautiful thing here in verse 16. Jesus says to her, Mary. Not some long, drawn-out speech. Not some monologue. He just says, Mary. And at the speaking of her name, she recognizes him. Why? Because as we read before today together, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. The sheep follow him for they know his voice. I love the way John Calvin puts it. He says, the voice of the shepherd, therefore, enters into Mary's heart, opens her eyes, arouses her senses, and affects her in such a manner that she immediately surrenders herself to Christ. It is his voice calling her name that makes all the difference. I want to ask you today, do you know the voice of Jesus? Do you know the voice of Jesus? Because perhaps the Lord is calling your name today. Perhaps he is calling your name. And there in the midst of your darkness, he wants to provide light. That's what he did for Mary on that day, and that's what he offers to do for you today. And Mary says, Rabboni, which means teacher. Matthew says in his gospel that she, she took hold of his feet and worshipped him. You can imagine. She's been without Jesus. She wants him now, and she's She's just holding on to his feet. Don't go, Jesus. Don't go again. He says, don't cling to me, Mary. Don't cling to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. You see, his goal, his purpose isn't just resurrection for the sake of coming back and being there on earth. No, his goal is, is to ultimately ascend to the right hand of the Father, to reign at the Father's right hand over the kingdoms of heaven and earth. He says, but I have a job for you. Go to my brothers, by which he means his disciples, and say to them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. What a wonderful promise. We, we kind of miss that too, I think. We think of, well, of course, God is all of our Father. No, that's not how they would have thought. They would have thought of God as a creator, God as a judge, God as a king, but not God as a father. that's what Jesus says you are my brothers and so God is your father and God could be your father too through Christ Jesus maybe you had maybe you have a great father maybe you like me had a great father but he's no longer with us maybe you have a terrible father whichever group you're in God promises to be a far greater father than you've ever imagined you could have If only you are united with Christ through faith. Well, when we come to the tomb,
Jesus isn't the only one who speaks. In closing, there is one other thing that was said in our passage. We read in verse 18, Mary Magdalene went and announced to the disciples, I have seen the Lord. And that he had said these things to her. And so too we are called if we have trusted in him, if we are his brothers and sisters, if we are united with him in faith, we are called to announce this good news to others. Perhaps you've just today heard the voice of Jesus calling your name. Perhaps you've heard it a long time ago and have been walking with him. Either way, Jesus is calling your name and he is calling on you to go and announce the good news of Easter morning. Jesus is risen. Would you pray with me? Our Heavenly Father, what good news it is. May we constantly rejoice in it and may you cause our affections for you to grow and grow and grow as we see the true love of Christ Jesus for us. As he has told us the good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep and Christ Jesus has done that for us but he did not remain dead. He rose from the dead. He conquered death and promises us life. May we all know that. May we experience that call. May we hear his voice. May we respond to his voice. And may we trust in you through him. For we ask it in his name. Amen. Please rise with me now and sing our closing hymn, hymn number 361.